Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic reform tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue format of questions, answers, and more all to bring more understanding to what is the meaning of life, having a relationship with our Creator God and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hey everybody! This is Nick Fulweiler, and I got Peter Bell on here. We're doing our second episode of the Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude podcast. How you doing, hey Peter? So, we hope you enjoyed the first episode, which was more the history of the Bible and why, why it's factual. So, if you haven't listened to that yet, please do. I, I think each episode kind of makes more sense as we go on. Is that right, Peter? Yeah, building a case as we go along and giving categories and trying to be as concise as possible, both for um, your faith, the object of your faith, Jesus, and just for everyday conversation with coworkers, family, friends. Uh, that way uh, you know what you believe and to kind of steal a, a model for another podcast and why you believe it. Yeah, and we just, we feel like, this type of podcast isn't something that's uh, typically done right now. It's more of a conversational format. We It's more uncut. It's just uh, Peter and I having a conversation about the Bible and our faith and just making more sense of it, just like well, a lot of you guys probably already do um, or a lot of uh, unbelievers may not be exposed to. Um, so if you have other uh, really good podcasts out there, but some of them might be uh, one person talking might be really drawn out and uh, a little harder to follow or it's extremely surface level and kind of 101 knowledge. Um, What we're trying to do is take stuff that's pretty complicated and not covered usually and bring it down to easy to understand terms so we can all just uh, understand God more. Yeah and I mean you've listened to podcasts, I've listened to podcasts and some of them kind of from like the broadly Christian arena, and which is good, it's necessary. But we want to take these and, and say, um, kind of with the, the name of our podcast, how does the Reformed faith speak about these things on a deeply kind of doctrinal, theological level, but that also affects like our everyday life and, and how, we, mm-hmm. how we move and, and how we are and, and how this affects us and the church and our friends and our family and and all that stuff. I don't. I don't know if anything like this exists right now. Yeah. So we're really excited. You guys are listening. Um, this second episode, um, we really wanted to go right to a very probably the most important topic, foundation of our Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, why the resurrection is the foundation and the most important part of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you missed the resurrection if it if it didn't happen our entire faith falls apart after that like what paul says is you know our faith is in vain if the resurrection didn't happen so um you know i i mentioned this in the last podcast um the movie case for christ i keep coming back to that movie but it's so good because uh mr strobel who wanted to prove christianity wrong his colleague told him, hey, the quickest way to do that, if you're going to prove it wrong, go right for the jugular. You know, go – if you disprove the resurrection, you pretty much uh, – everything else falls apart after that. So yeah. 
that's why we started the first episode on the history of the Bible because making sure people understand when you read the Bible, you can take it to the bank that it's real, it's true, it's God's word. And then we're going to go right to the heart of our Christian faith. So one, two, knockout punch right here. So we're excited. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not just accepting, uh, well, the Bible is just true and just, just pray about it and God will give you um, faith that the Bible is true. It's, no, there's some actual historical legitimacy to it and knowing scribe practices that we talked about in the first episode and what the Bible says about itself and how other critics have talked about it and research is coming out now. It's, I mean, it, you can go into the science and it is backed up by the science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And a lot of people uh, may or may not know this. I mean, the, the, just our Easter holiday is the celebration of the resurrection. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people maybe not even understand that the Easter holiday is really uh, three consecutive days. And what we celebrate is actual Easter Sunday is Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, uh, you know, kind of just question on my end for the viewers uh, yeah. or listeners. I guess no one's really <laughs> yeah. viewing. Viewers, if you're so. viewing, you're probably like, I'm really confused now. I'm staring at a blank screen. But, <laughs> or you're a stalker. <laughs> What would, how would you explain to somebody uh, just on the street, you know, yeah. uh, what the resurrection means? Why is it even important and relevant? Yeah, the resurrection is is massive, and it, it goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to the law. It goes back to our sin. Uh, resurrection was not necessary if there was no sin. Uh, if Adam had not fallen in the garden in Genesis 3, by eating the fruit, by proclaiming something that is that is bad as good, um, as God had given him the mandate in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, uh, then we would not have the, the, the need for the resurrection. But since there is sin in this world, since this world was born in sin, since this world is, is mired, is deep in sin, we can see that not just theologically, but in our in nature, in, in the way that we treat each other, in murder, in political strife, in relations between different countries or just different people historically and into this into this present day. It's if because we have sin, the resurrection is absolutely necessary. The resurrection does not eradicate sin in this world. The resurrection points us to the place where sin will no longer be. And we know that by, you know, I might be jumping ahead here, but three different uh, terms, uh, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So um, when we recognize Jesus Christ not only died for our sins but rose on the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father, Mm -hmm. uh, when we realize that in our hearts and we're humbled by it and submit our lives, that's justification, right, Peter? Yeah, justification is we have sinned against the holy God. We have we were given his commandments, we were given his mandates, and that's in again in Genesis two, don't eat of this tree. I am calling this tree not bad because it itself is bad, but because you eating of it is you telling yourself that it is good when I told you it was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's uh, and there's debate around this, but it's kind of restipulated in 
the commandments at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20 with Moses, with the Ten Commandments of, of God, not just a moral guideline, but an absolute representation of the perfection of God. Mm-hmm. Um, commandments 1 through 10, that is that is who God is in his nature, and he gives us those as a standard bearer to say, you don't do these perfectly, you are in sin. You must do these perfectly, perpetually, and personally, mm-hmm. as the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about in order for us to justify ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since we cannot do that, we needed a person to stand in the middle between us and God and, and take obedience on our behalf, perfectly fulfill the law on our behalf, and then through his death and resurrection, give us his record of his obedience under the law. And that's what, what the resurrection is, the, is the vindication. It is God approving of, yes, your obedience under the law was true and it was necessary and it was efficient and now I will give this obedience to those whom you died for. Mm-hmm. And all around that's really getting into the message of the gospel. I mean yeah. when when, a, when believers and non-believers hear the word the gospel I mean I think everyone's heard that term and what it really means is the good news. And yeah. we could even say the entire Bible is technically the the gospel because it's all the good news and all points to Jesus. But when we're talking about um, specifically uh, his death, the reason why Jesus had to come uh, and that he died on the cross as the passion um, and he did rise from the dead and He's still reigning and ruling. That itself yep. is the gospel, and it's why we need it. Um, I think I think a big gap in understanding is, and this was me for uh, I'll admit about thirty first thirty years of my life. Um, yeah. Why? I think everyone know has heard Jesus' name. They're like, oh yeah, God came to earth. He sent His Son. He died on the cross. He died for my sins. Okay. And he raised from the dead, and people are like, that's pretty cool and loving, but they don't understand why supernaturally that had to happen. And I really believe as soon as someone finally understands it, like a light bulb goes off, it just totally changes your life. Because I didn't know. I pretended like I knew. I was afraid to ask, and I finally one day asked a friend to clarify it to me, and it blew me away. Um, um, How could you – describe that um you know you you talked about the fall and you know that's our us falling short of us trying in the beginning of the fall in the garden of Eden, trying to be our own god you know we'll talk about later in later episodes the genesis genesis and the fall but you know uh we will never on our own merit doing our own thing um be able to uh be perfect on god's standards and um, because that was the decision our first father, Adam, made, yep. you know, and so we will never and that's what the law is. The law is like, OK, if you want to do it on your own merit, here's my standard. It's impossible yep. to meet, yep. you know, try It's like a fish trying to climb a tree like it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, and Which so, what like yeah, and it, it really is humbling. And so um, the, the law is humbling and yeah. loving and 
Okay, and so when people understand that, like, okay, I, I am fallen. I read the Ten Commandments. I've done all those things or most of them, whatever. And I, I definitely, if I faced God right now, I would not, I should not be allowed into heaven. So then people are like, okay, I get someone had to die for my sins. And Jesus is fully God, fully man. God literally put himself on earth. And he, yeah. and he took the entire sin of the world, past, present, and future on him. Who didn't yep. deserve it because he's perfect and he's God. Yep. And it's almost a supernatural conundrum happening. Um, and he took it on. So he died for the sins. And I feel like that's where people, there's a little gray area understanding why that had to happen. Yeah. And and then there's an extra layer. If, if if it just stopped there and he didn't rise from the dead and he was just in the tomb, what then? So could you kind of tie that all together for me? <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, those are those some big things. Um, but with the resurrection, what it is, it's the resurrection itself was the vindication. It was the vindication is a. A fancy way of saying it's God's God is approving, commending, saying that the work Jesus did on earth was sufficient and efficient. So it was everything necessary to give us uh, the right standing we needed between a holy God and us. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a a fancy way of, of talking about that. But I think a lot of people get the resurrection not wrong. They just they have a a very not small view, but a very singular view of it, where mm. our sins were forgiven on the cross. Mm. And our sins were forgiven through his obedience, through Christ's obedience on this earth as an, as an earthly man, fully God, fully man, uh, born of the virgin. Um, so that's, that's where our sins, his obedience was, was what was credited or imputed uh, on our behalf on and the cross was God's approval. His saying, what you did was sufficient. What you did was perfect. What you did was perpetual. What you did was personal. In order to die and to give your obedience to my people that I have given you. And that's in John 17. Uh, John 14 to 17 is, is kind of the, the big storyline of, of Jesus and, and God kind of making this pact. Mm-hmm. In order to to save us, but that's that's the, the big stuff around the resurrection, and we kind of talked about it before. And um, so, Jesus's obedience was what gives us our perfect record, and the cross is God's. I mean, people say God's seal of approval, which is which is effectively right. Is Jesus' obedience was efficient, sufficient for the remission of our sins, and that doesn't mean we'll, we'll be sinless in this life. That means that our future heavenly home has now been secured mm. for us. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we will never struggle with sin. In fact, in some ways, we will struggle more with sin. And that's not necessarily because we have more sin. We're just, we become more introspective. We are, we have been purchased by this holy God. We've been purchased by his son. Uh, and we see his perfection. We have been purchased by him. And the more we see his perfection, the more we see our filth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's effectively kind of the message of sanctification. We're, we're both being formed into his image, but that image is also, that's very foreign to us. Um, something we don't really experience in this life, but we, we see this image, we understand this image, 
uh, and that glorification being um, as Christ now rules and reigns in heaven in a spiritual way on earth, we will one day be with him. But all of those three terms, because of the resurrection, are guaranteed for us. The resurrection is not a, I have done my part, now you do your part. Or even, the resurrection was not a possibility of salvation. If you accept my salvation, then this is the case, and then these are the steps along the way. Or you have to prove yourself through your works after you have initially given your, your life to Jesus. It is, if you confess with your mouth and believe that Christ is Lord, that resurrection, the payment on the resurrection is yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's so awesome. And it's that's what makes Christianity so much different than the other religions. Is It's the easiest and the hardest thing to understand that it's not a works first deal. No, it's um, not a works at all deal. And, and that's when you fully understand that, you get more humility understanding that, man, this is a pure gift, which is grace. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally would not on my own want to follow God. Nope. Um, I'm a rebel. I am opposed to him out of nature when I was born. And you, in a way, you serve the world until you're yep. born again. And yep. once you're born again, you serve him. And that's why when you mentioned when you become Christian and truly Christian, uh, a couple things do happen. You realize your sin, and you're not friends with it anymore. So you do wrestle with your sin more because it tears you apart. It literally feels like your spirit and your flesh are tearing apart because that's true. It's really we're, we're – uh, our flesh is part of the world, and, and uh, it wants to do the way it wants to do. And then your spirit is, you know, kind of pulling up to heaven. Um, <laughs> if, if you weren't um, saved, you would very much cuddle up with every sin and be yeah, okay with it. Galatians 3 and Romans 7. Yep. Talk about the struggle with sin. Yeah, and another thing, too, uh, when you become Christian is um, – and this is what a lot of people have backwards. Um, it, I said it's it's faith first and then works. So once you become truly saved and born again, we say that term, uh, you will, out of love, want to work for the glory of God. So just like if you love your spouse, your friend, your, your family member, your mom, your dad, like you'd want to do things not to earn their love, but because you love them. And so out of genuine gratitude, which is the third <laughs> term in our podcast, you know, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. really start working as fruits of yeah. your faith. Um, yeah, this, is, this is why we titled our podcast Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. You are mm-hmm. guilted by the law. Mm-hmm. You are graced by the obedience of Jesus. And then your gratitude is your is your consequential or after or because of his obedience on our behalf. Mm-hmm. We are grateful. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like reading the Bible. It's it's actually like your your love for Christ is that good work. Mm-hmm. It is not serving necessarily. It's not doing good things. It's not giving money to your neighbor. It's because of his resurrection, because of his, his grace given to you when you're on, on his behalf, that's these things will follow suit. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, he's not going to wait until you have your act together and cleaned up, and you're like, oh, now you're good. Now I'll, you met me halfway or something. Uh, it, he'll find you in the ugliest times of your life, and no matter what you did. And uh, that's just so awesome about our faith. And it's the hardest thing to understand, but it's also kind of the easiest thing to understand, so it's weird. Um, but that's why, you know, the world is flipped on its head. Um since the fall, I think everything is reversed. So yeah. when when people – when we're talking about the resurrection, I think a lot of people assume uh, that the that baptism in a mm-hmm. church is a direct reflection to resurrection because it feels mm-hmm. like you're underwater mm-hmm. and then you got pulled up. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, do you have any – are they correct on that or is there actually – is that apples and oranges? Yeah, I mean it's – so – that's been kind of the message. I mean, so there's there's a uh, a movement in the 1520s, 1530s called Anabaptism, and it was a response to the Reformation. And the Reformation was the reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli. Um, a lot of these guys saw the corruptness of Roman Catholicism, uh, saw their, their view of worship, saw their view of the sacraments, saw their view of baptisms of their view of the scripture and looked back to before the, the the roman catholic church to the church fathers so right after the new testament closes and our church fathers from about 180 to 500 ad um effectively run the church and the reformation leaders see them and say that's what we need to get back to um, they don't come up with this new system. They say this Roman Catholicism has corrupted the tradition of orthodoxy. It's corrupted the tradition of Christianity. Mm. And we need to get back to the New Testament. We need to get back to um, the faith of our fathers. And so Anabaptism, kind of long story short, was a, was a response to the Reformation. And they made um, baptism more of a sign of resurrection. And long story short, it's because they want to see a pure church, they want to see morals, they want to see after baptism you live this holy, holy like brand new, crazy on fire for Jesus life, which is which is fantastic. Um, but they kind of misunderstood the function of baptism. Mm. And as reformed people, and, and me kind of being a reformed Presbyterian and, and seeing what Scripture has to say throughout about baptism. We see it as more of a baptism is what an infant does, uh, or not what an infant does. An infant doesn't do anything but receive. Uh, but an infant receives kind of the faith of their parents. It is not a, we believe you will have faith one day, or even like what Catholicism does, this itself is salvation. We're giving you the sign of salvation. It is a, an entrance into the covenant community, an entrance into the church. Uh, as Abraham was given the sign of circumcision yeah. in the Old Testament, and then that's kind of repeated throughout the Old Testament. Uh, whenever God says, uh, I will be a God who will be my people, and he says it throughout the Old Testament multiple times, it is a direct reflection, a mirror of Genesis 12 with Abraham, and it's him gathering his people as part of the church of, of believers and saying, you are now fully part of my church. I'm going to raise you as somebody of my church, and then we can get into this later on with sacraments. Yeah. But then the Lord's Supper, as Christians, being our, I am now partaking of the flesh and blood through through the, the bread and the wine, and proclaiming my faith 
through the bread and the wine. Because the only thing in the New Testament of the sacraments that is cursed if you do it wrongly is the Lord's Supper, not the baptism. And you would think, kind of in today's culture, when people are are comparing baptism and the resurrection, that baptism would be cursed, but it's not. It's You are cursed if you wrongly partake of the Lord's Supper. There's some pretty specific stuff from Paul in Corinthians about being cursed if you take the Lord's Supper without faith. Mm. So, okay. yeah, it's kind of like a like you are dead in Christ and you're raised with Christ, but as far as we can tell in the New Testament, there's, there's nothing really to, to show us that. So baptism really is more of a replacement of circumcision. Cir- circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament, right? Yeah, so circumcision points towards baptism. And baptism is the New Testament, the, the church age, we call consummation. So it is circumcision kind of matured. Yeah, and what that would really mean uh, is more of like you're welcomed into the uh, church community as more yep. or less a member yep. um, versus um, just like in the Old Testament, you're an Israelite, yeah. you're you're a yeah. citizen of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean specifically you, you are going to be saved yet Correct. as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's why you see some churches do baby baptisms and some yep. some uh, might not agree with your theological doctrine as much and they do more of adult baptisms. Because, yeah, we can get into that later on. Yeah, right? yeah. So that yes, I want people... connects resurrection and baptism. Yeah, so that that's where I, I wanted to talk about baptism because I know a lot of people tie resurrection yeah, to sure. that and, and make sure that people know that there is a kind of a difference. It's a little apples and oranges. Um, yeah, yeah. Going back to actually, you know, the heart of this conversation, yeah. the resurrection. So the, here's here's uh, some really good facts, and please elaborate uh, yeah. because you know so much more than I do de- on a deep <laughs> level. Um, when it comes to the resurrection, okay, people need to understand that uh, Jesus's disciples, who are the apostles, right? Yeah. They had zero reason to um, tell everybody about um, what happened if if it was if it was false right yeah yeah so pretty much when it comes down to if you talk to any like person that's in does um, interrogations or whatnot if you get a group of people somebody is gonna break and finally be like ah sorry we made the whole thing up right mm-hmm. So the point is, is these these apostles hit Jesus's followers while he was on there. Peter um, and all the rest of the disciples. Um, he he showed up to them uh, in the pretty much right after uh, the first witnesses who were women, which I'm going to go into in a second. Um, the these people they would if they were telling this and it was false. Um. They, there would be no reason to do that because the, the truth is actually so much harder to deal with uh, culturally for them. Yeah. They were actually yeah. killed. All the all the apostles were, except for one, were martyrs. So, yeah, yeah, as far as we can tell from like, church tradition, yeah. Yeah, so there was – people think that the resurrection was made up for political power. Yeah. 
yeah. to put uh, create Jesus into a Messiah when he wasn't. Because, yep. Yep. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on the apostles that I was kind of digging into there? For proof? Yeah, and this, I mean, this is I mean, pretty exclusively tied to our last podcast. If you guys haven't listened to that, mm-hmm. um, listen to that. But it's it has to do with how first century historical writers and that's what our apostles are they 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 write history as a first century historian would write history um and they would write letters as a first century political elite would write letters even though they're not political elites and you can you can see that from the text that they're they're not part of the political elite they can some of them have some connections to the political elite like paul because of his former association with the um, kind of a higher up Jew, um, kind of patriarchy hierarchy, whatever you want to call it. But it's the, the what they do is Luke uh, or Matthew or Mark, less so John, but he's not contradictory. But really explicitly, Mark, what he, or Luke, what he does is he names people post resurrection, both at the end of his gospel and in the beginning of Acts. And it's not just, like we said in the first episode, not just to name people, just to say, like, there's this guy. But it's literally, this guy saw the resurrection, go talk to this guy. And that is a first century legal thing to do. Mm -hmm. It is what people would do to say, in order to corroborate what I'm saying, please go talk to this guy. And so one of the guys we read last semester um, talked about this, and his name is Pliny the Younger. And he has hundreds of letters that are, are part of this book that we read. And they're remarkably similar to the way that our first century um, New Testament writers wrote. And it's he's, all he's doing is trying to say, I, I'm bringing up this guy, I'm bringing up this guy, that's more to corroborate my account. And so when Luke does it, he is showing this the person that he uh, talks about at the beginning of Luke, um, Theophilus. So mm-hmm. hey, talk to this person if you have any questions about the resurrection. Um, and they didn't, I mean, there's, there's some arguments about political gain and it's, it is a horrific understanding of manuscripts, um, of dating of manuscripts and critics coming in with a preconceived grind or preconceived axe to grind against Christianity, mm-hmm. um, who have this idea and then try to fit in their evidence to, take down Christianity and you can read that in their text and I've read what they I've read Ehrman I've read all those guys uh, read Walter Bauer and his heresy and orthodoxy and it talks about this specifically uh, where that's for political gain the Christians were anti-Semites they hated Jews and they wanted to replace the Jewish religion and and Matthew's a former Jew and he had to axe the grind against the Jewish people and so he created this this Jesus resurrection narrative in order to show his Jewish people that they're wrong and he's right, uh, and it is 100% pure conjecture. They don't have any history behind this. All they can literally say, and it's crazy going through their books, they can only literally say, I'm pretty sure this is the case. But they can't point you to any documents, they can't point you to any historical artifacts, nothing. It is pure conjecture. Yeah, and and those apostles... um... You know, they were uh, low-status citizens. I mean, yeah. God, this is just awesome about God. Like, I mean, he always does this. He picks the most unlikely people to be heroes in the Bible yeah. because it's it, – Besides, like, Paul, 
Paul was like the only kind of high ranking, but he gave it all up. Yeah, exactly. So these so people still had relationships and stuff. And uh, everyone is just such low status that they wouldn't yeah. even have the political um, power or uh, no. a, a, yeah, ability that's... to even do anything with it if they were making this up. And um, yeah, they didn't have critics, it already in. That's why critics have to take what our biblical record and they have to push it back three, about 300 years from when we're pretty confident based off the dating manuscripts when it was written into when they say it was written and when the Christianity that we know today came up. Um, so the only argument they have is they have to push it back and say, well, it's no longer on the disciples and people after the disciples actually wrote the books and they just attributed it attributed it to these disciples and uh, while these disciples may have had good reasons and and everything that these later political people are like oh no we have to make our version of christianity the right version right um which is and if you guys haven't read it it's not a super long read and it's not terribly hard it's heresy and orthodoxy from walter bauer mm. and he goes through it and that's he's a critic and this is his argument about this and all he literally says about the book is, I'm pretty sure this happened. But he doesn't provide you any materials. And the materials he does provide you, he has a preconceived notion, and then he kind of puts that interpretation on it, and it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another guy, uh, Michael Kruger, who I know you've listened to mm-hmm. a lot, and you've got a, a lot of respect. i got a lot of respect. And he wrote um, The Heresy of Orthodoxy, and it's a response to Bauer. Mm. And... His book is massive for understanding the historicity of the Bible, and then, as we're talking about right now, why that is massive for the resurrection. Yeah. Because those are two intertwined concepts. They go hand in hand. I mean, the more you respect the Bible as a book of history and it's factual, then you're going to be like, okay, what it says about the resurrection and how it happened, I got to to take that to the bank because that – I mean – if you, it, 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 that's that's just everything right there. So yeah, because critics used to deny that Christ was resurrected, and that was kind of proved bunk maybe 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and then with a huge find in nineteen forty seven, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. were like, oh man, this is this might actually be a little bit more historical than we originally thought. And so literally, biblical criticism changed in nineteen forty seven. We've been They've been kind of keeping up since then and growing closer and closer. And so those who don't see it, it's it's just not relevant scholarly anymore. Yeah. I mean, and then more about the apostles. They they were very, not just low status, uh, they were cowardly men. I mean, they yeah. were kind of, t- they were pretty kind of timid. I mean, they yeah. wouldn't be... They wouldn't be out, out there on a political campaign all over the news or anything like that. No. And they're very opposite of that. So uh, they had no reason to lie. I mean, that's what it comes no. down to it. And they, they had everything to lose. Um, and they st- stood up for the truth. And, and not only just one or two of them, but, you know, as a large group of them. Um, yeah, if you had to prove the resurrection in modern times, you would not have written what they wrote. Nope. Nope, you can't even make this stuff up. That's how true it is. I mean, no, to have women as the first responders to the resurrection was a big no-no in the first century. That is not how you prove something. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to go to next is Mary Magdalene. 
Yeah. And who is not Jesus's wife? Nope. <laughs> Don't listen to the Gnostic Gospels. No. <laughs> um. And who, sorry, who she was with? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yep, that's what I was. Saying. So it's a virgin Mary and yeah. Mary Magdalene. Both of them went to the tomb first, and they were the yep. very first witnesses to see that the tomb was open. And uh, long story short, they saw Jesus. And yeah. for them as firsthand, first people that are witnesses as women back then. They wouldn't have been believed. And that's where, um, you know, women got to love this because God is not <laughs> sexist. And he's, he's not. And, and when you're reading the Bible and you get tired of how men are always – have their names on everything and women seem to be forgotten they're oh it's yeah it's very different in the bible yes god loves women uh he had them as first witnesses to the resurrection how much which is the basis of our faith so how much yeah and it's you can see it like i said it's plenty the younger there's a couple other guys first century um writers that you can read and they will talk straight up about women like this person's not credible in court i can't use this person Literally, like, they're, they're a sex object in the first century, and that's about it. Yeah, and and if this was made up, uh, the apostles would have gotten together and be like, no, we can't say that the women first saw it yeah. because everyone's going to write that off. So it's yeah. uh, it was a sexist world but and culture. Sexist, yeah. However, uh, God is not. And so uh, nope. that was very loving in that, and it just proves his case even more. And then I also wanted to mention when he uh, – was risen and uh, he came and spoke to over 5,000 witnesses, which in the Bible uh, says 5,000 is probably much more than that because you're counting really the head of each household, which is 5,000 heads of each household. So it right, times it by about four. That's that's more likely the number. Four heads, 4,000 heads of household? Or uh, eight times the number. So like um, oh, gotcha. in the Gospels, yeah, where they say feeding, feeding 5,000, I mean, they would only generally count. The patriarchs, the, the head of household, sometimes about four, generally speaking, and so it's 20,000. Oh, times four, right. Yeah, times by four. So isn't that amazing? So you got 20,000 people, which is the size of a small city. Jesus, yeah. after he rose from the dead, people saw him in the flesh talking. If mm-hmm. I mean, that alone, and then when we talked about it in the last episode, there's firsthand accounts where he says, "Go if don't take my word for it. Go talk to Nicodemus or go talk to so and so." Yeah. They they actually uh, would have saw this happen, and so no hey. wonder Christianity exploded in the short amount of time it did because this is just unheard of. I mean, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Luke says it explicitly in his gospel, verses one through four. Mm-hmm. Um, where he names, as far as we can tell, some high-up Roman official, Theophilus, who's either a believer or interested in Christian things. And he says, I've, I've effectively amassed all these materials. I have taken all these documents. I have interviewed witnesses. And here's my account. Yep. Yep. And um, if, if people want to read uh, more about Jesus in a nutshell on his last days and uh, him dying on the cross and resurrection, look. The book of Luke, uh, chapter 24, is personally one of my favorites. It just kind of all nutshell right there. And it ends with the ascension of him and 
He's risen right now. He's just as alive in the flesh right now as he was 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Which, if no, if someone wasn't a believer and never read the Bible, they would laugh at. And we would have too. <laughs> I mean, that's why it is supernatural, yeah. and that's why it is. Yeah. Um. I did want to actually. I know we're kind of wanted to keep these these a little shorter than the first episode. The first episode yeah. had a lot of introduction. I did want to read one uh, section. First uh, uh, ch- Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses twelve through 23 i'm going to read it real quick because i want the listeners to hear this it's the apostle paul uh talking here in the new testament about this this actual subject so now if christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even christ has been raised and if christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who are also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by men came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So, pretty good uh, verse there. Um, Any last uh, thoughts or comments, Peter? Yeah, I mean, I think tying it, tying it all together and, and why the resurrection is massive, why, why it is the foundation and the vindication of the gospel, it's, I think too often we wonder, how is Christ's resurrection in my sin um, or my entrance into heaven, how are those two connected? Is it, like, what did Christ do on the cross? And what is, like, why did he need to be resurrected? Mm-hmm. Like what was what was that point? And his resurrection didn't prove it was God's acceptance, basically of his of his sacrifice. And you have to understand the Old Testament um, to understand Christ's sacrifice. You have to understand the sacrificial system. You have to understand yep. the temple. You have to understand purity in the temple, holiness in the temple. That we have been separated from holy God. And that we needed a mediator, we needed somebody between us and God because we couldn't fulfill the demands of the law. In the Old Testament, story after story after story is mediator failing, mediator failing, mediator failing, all pointing towards the one who does not fail. The one who is both the mediator between us and God and very God himself. Mm. 
and that's why the resurrection is so massive. That's that is what the resurrection is: the mediator himself dying, and the mediator himself, who is that God, who died, who is that one who died for our sins, and not just died for our sins, died as a not as a sinner, but as the representation of our sins, who took on his sins. Second Corinthians five twenty one. He who knew no he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. Mm. And the righteousness of God is not something we do. It's an Old Testament phrase, literally meaning like perfection. It's we are now right in the in the sight of God. And in order to be right, we have to be holy. You can't just be good. You can't just be. I kind of follow this and I'm not too good, but like I'm trying as hard as I can. Um, trying as hard as you can is not is not a Christian concept. It's either sinner or saint. It's either yeah. you are under the law or you're in Jesus, and that's what the resurrection does: is it gives you the assurance that your sin was nailed on the cross because Christ obeyed perfectly, lived perfectly, sacrificed Himself as a pleasing aroma, as a pleasing scent to God was forsaken by him and his resurrection is God's acceptance of his obedience on our behalf and him giving us his obedience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I mean, when we are in Christ, God looks at us as justified. When we're outside of Christ, he's like, okay, well, what do you got? It's on your own merit. So that's it. When we are in Christ, we pretty much we get everything that Jesus brought to the table. We get his record, not ours. So when Jesus so when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin. So when we're in Christ, we have defeated sin. We are not we are not uh, we have no identity to sin, even though we still sin here on earth. We're in Christ. This is sanctification. So it's before we're glorified in heaven. Now, when he rose from the dead, the resurrection, he defeated death. Mm -hmm. So through Christ, we will also defeat death. And we will go to heaven and be in uh, uh, heirs in, in, in heaven. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it just kind of popped up. It's, it's Genesis, I think it's Genesis 2.17. Um, and the Hebrew behind it's. At the end, it's the curse if you eat of the tree of the good and evil, or eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is literally, then, as we, we see in the English, it's you shall surely, it's like dying, you shall die. It's surely, absolutely, positively, you shall die. And, I mean, Nick, you can answer this. Does Adam die immediately after he sinned? No. No, he does not. But the one who does die because of our sin is Christ. So Christ took on that curse. Christ took on the curse that was placed on Adam that was not fulfilled immediately. And Christ takes on the curse of dying, you should surely die, when Christ did not commit any sin. We are the ones who are in Adam who did commit that sin. We did eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, We did approve of it. We allowed the serpent in. And human history shows that over and over and over again. And... um, and it's still, like, I, I get a weird feeling, and it's, it's hard for me to listen to preachers who say the law is no longer in effect, mm. or grace is now functioning, but 
law, that was Old Testament stuff. We, we just have grace. Um, we still have law. But law points us as believers to the perfection of Christ. And as a non-believer, you are still under the law. That's And the resurrection shows this. If there is no law, resurrection is not needed. Resurrection is no longer necessary. But because of the law, resurrection is needed. You're either under the impossible task of fulfilling the law yourself yeah. or go to the one that fulfilled the law himself, which was Jesus. Yep. So no, that's, that is the resurrection. Resurrection yep. shows us, and you can show it historically, you can show it theologically. Um, I mean, I just, I plead people, read the Old Testament over and over and over and over again, and then the resurrection starts making sense. True. True. The New Testament is fantastic, but the New Testament is, the New Testament authors assume you've read the Old Testament, you know it pretty safe and well. True. Um, and I think too often as Christians, we just focus on the New Testament, which is fantastic, but we need the background of that sacrificial system. We need the background of the law, we need the background of, of the historical narratives talking about the mediators who consistently failed, who were supposed to represent the people. Um, who died in their sins, and the people died in their sins, there was no mediator at that point. They all pointed towards the one who was to come. Amen. Yeah, he, Jesus claimed victory through his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I, like, maybe ending too, like, resurrection, he did not defeat the devil. I think that's, people too often talk about the resurrection as, as Christ's defeat of the devil. The devil does not need to be defeated. The devil is defeated. That's, that's that's not a thing that Christ is thinking about. The devil just it, it points us towards the law, which the law is under God. So God's not defeating Jesus, not defeating God. Jesus is obeying on our behalf under God, but He's not defeating the, the, the devil. The resurrection is not a victory over the devil. Resurrection is a I have obeyed on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 that's, it's, it's hard for me. I hear that way too often. Yeah. Um, of resurrection being defeating the devil. Because it's not defeating the devil. The devil wanted him to die. For sure. The devil had some weird idea of what that was going to be. But that's... Yeah. Well, back, it backfired on him. It backfired on him. Like all bad things uh, that are allowed to happen in, in the world... And the devil wanted him to be crucified on the cross, and he was laughing, and um, it backfired. And God was like, you know what? This is actually <laughs> what I had planned. So, yeah, um, the devil does not know the vast. He's not a direct rival to God. He is a nope. fallen angel. He's a dog He's on a leash. Created. It's um, Job. Job one through two says that Satan's on a leash. Satan. Yeah. Doesn't ask God. God brings up Job. Satan is on God's leash. There's, there's no uh, defeating Satan that has to occur. He's already defeated. Yep. Amen. Cool. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, I hope this helped you guys uh, see the gravity of importance that will give you humility on uh, why Jesus had to come and just gratitude and. Uh, pure love knowing that he loved you you love him because he loved you first and why he had to do it and and uh so thank you everybody and thank you peter and uh yep we'll catch you guys next time all right bye
Oh, thank you.